Good evening, everybody. And so nice to be back. I've been off for quite a while. I'm hanging out in the mountains of Colorado, uh, working from the mountain time. So today I have a special guest to talk about optimizing our fitness goals through nutrition. And so many of us want to achieve all these amazing fitness goals, but maybe we aren't eating right. Maybe we just don't know the ins and outs of fitness nutrition, when to eat, how to eat, what to eat, all the little um, minutia. So today I have a special guest, Bobby DeTomasis. Did I say that right? Or did That's I right. Yep. No, All right. Fine. Okay. <laughs> Who I've known for years, by the way, Bobby is not just a friend of mine and not just a past and current trainer, but he is a master strength and conditioning coach and athletic trainer since 2004. He, after college, he was certified for athletic training and the NSCA strength and conditioning, um, specialist. After training for some time, Bobby became interested in the training uh, and nutritional protocols of world-renowned strength coach Charles Poliquin. So if some of you listen to fitness podcasts, I'm sure Charles Poliquin has popped up quite frequently. He then became a level one biosignature practitioner in 2007 and moved to Chicago from New York to work at the Poliquin Performance Center, Northfield, Illinois, where I was fortunate enough to meet him. He has also earned his master's degree in sports science, and he's a level five PICP master strength coach, level two biosignature modulation strength coach, and um, his specialties include improving sports sport-specific strength and conditioning, speed, power, and quickness, development, athletic rehab, and sports nutrition. He's worked with elite athletes, including the NFL, MLB, NHL, AHL, and collegiate players, as well as Olympic athletes. Oh my God, I'm already exhausted, Bobby. <laughs> Wait, how old are you? That makes me sound way better than I actually am, but thank you. I appreciate it. Well, welcome. Welcome thank to you. tonight. I'm so excited to have you and so, so excited to, to tap into this topic that we're all just so confused. It's taken me yeah. so long to figure out my own health equation. And I know there's people out there struggling and now it's COVID. Now is the time for us to really hunker down and focus on our self-care and all of these different lifestyle habits that are going to help support a health and wellness lifestyle. You know, it's, I, I tell my clients all the time, we're never, once COVID's over and hopefully it'll be over in 2021. Hopefully once it's over, we're never going to get this opportunity again to be working out of our homes and hunker down and really focus on cooking our meals mm -hmm. and shopping the way we shop and working out from home. You know, I'm so excited to get back to gyms eventually, but right now is such an, uh, a unique time to really be self-centered and, and focus on our own longevity goals. For sure. For sure. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So Bobby is also the owner of PTS Chicago, which is called Performance Training Systems on West End. Are the uh, yeah, we're in the West Town area. We're on, Westtown. on on Hubbard Street. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's just dive in because I have so much I want to talk about. Okay. So like I said, it's COVID and people are at home more. And but pre-COVID. As a health coach, I pay attention to so many things. I pay attention to what people have in their shopping carts at the grocery store. I pay attention to how people walk into the athletic facility, whether it's a yoga studio or a Pilates studio or a weightlifting gym or a spinning cycle room, right? And here's the two scenarios I see often. 
People are walking into the gym or studio, whatever it is, eating a sugar-laden protein bar. They're drinking a, a pre-made smoothie or a pre-workout drink or a fancy calorie, sugar-laden Starbucks drink, right? And they're, this is like moments before the class or their workout starts. And I'm thinking to myself, do they not understand about digestion and how long it takes to absorb nutrients to then mm -hmm. turn into ATP and our mitochondria to to even create energy for us to use, right? right? And then scenario number two is maybe they're at home and they make their own smoothies and they're buying like dirty protein powders. And by that, I mean things that are not grass-fed whey or if they're using an egg white protein powder, it's not clean. Or if they're using a vegan one, it's just filled with tons of, you know, junk, um, highly processed. And then they love to put in like 30 extra ingredients, chia, <laughs> flax, this fruit, this thing, the honey, because you know all the other sugars in there aren't enough and whatever sure, else they sure. heard or read about in a waiting room somewhere, or their friend told them, they just dump in and then they wonder, wow, you know, why did I feel so bloated and why mm -hmm. was my stomach hurting and why- Why am I not losing weight? Exactly, yeah, right? Totally. So most people just don't consider this as part of a healthy lifestyle and part of the fitness routine, part of the longevity goals. I'm all yeah. about longevity. Good. So the things we're going to discuss today, and then I'm going to hand it over to you, mm -hmm. are cardio versus strength training nutrition. Is there a difference? Working out in a fasted state, what are the pros and cons? weight loss and lean muscle building versus weight gain and lean muscle building. Women versus men. Um, if you're a regular person like me or if you're a professional athlete, creatine, you know, what are the, the ins and outs of creatine? Amino acid supplementation like BCAAs and EAAs. And if you don't even know what those are, Bobby's gonna break it down for us. What to look for in protein powders and protein bars? You know, what are those ingredients we want in there? What are the numbers we're looking for? How much protein should one even eat, be eating a day? And what, how do you even get to that unique equation for yourself? And then who deserves carbs? Because we don't all get them, folks. Sorry. Not necessarily everybody. <laughs> exactly. So let's go into, let's start with how important is eating properly around one's workouts? And are there basic guidelines that you suggest to follow on when to eat? and how many of the macronutrients we want, what, what even happens after we're eating and it breaks down, what's that time frame? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so yeah, in, in regards to your first question um, uh, as to how important it is to properly eat around one's workout, uh, the short answer is yes, it definitely is important um, to eat properly around the workout. Um, one of the things that you touched on briefly is um, the amount of time that it takes to digest different types of foods. Um, so from a, a, a nutritional perspective, uh, and we'll kind of continue to use uh, some nutrition terms, there are uh, really it kind of breaks down into food breaks down into two separate categories, essentially. Um, and those are broken down into what are known as macronutrients, large nutrients, or micronutrients, small nutrients. Um, there are only three macronutrients. There's protein, carbs, and fat. Uh, and those are really the only three places that humans can derive calories from and calories and which essentially will eventually turn into energy. Uh, the micronutrients on the other hand are things like vitamins, minerals, trace elements. Uh, there are you know trace amounts of 
metals that we need in our body to perform different processes uh, like like copper, small amounts of iron, of course, too, for uh, you know properly transporting oxygen through the blood and hemoglobin and those sorts of things. So we're going to continue to to kind of touch primarily today, uh, most specifically on the macronutrients, the the protein, the fat, and the carbohydrates, because those are the ones that are kind of easily explainable. And this is not to say that micronutrients like vitamins and minerals don't have a big impact on health and wellness because they very, very much do. Uh, however, from an exercise perspective and a weight loss, weight gain, muscle gain, fat loss perspective, it is the macronutrients that, that can and probably should really be manipulated uh, for optimal health, optimal body composition and optimal performance. Um, so when talking about macronutrients, each one of them, the fat, the protein, and the carbohydrates kind of digest at different rates. Uh, carbohydrates by far digest the fastest and uh, carbohydrates can be broken down further into different categories, simple carbohydrates, which we've all heard about, um, basically like sugar or, um, the most simple form of a carbohydrate. Uh, is, is glucose essentially, and it is known as a monosaccharide, um, which is conversely uh, compared to what could be known as a dye or polysaccharide, uh, which essentially is more of a complex carbohydrate. Monosaccharides like sugar, uh, like the sugar that a lot of people have a tendency to put in their coffee drinks before they, they go into exercise, uh, are definitely the type of food and the type of carbohydrate that digests the fastest. So when it comes to exercise performance, somebody eating carbohydrates close to their workout isn't necessarily wrong, but there is also a downside to eating something close to the workout. Um, and that is what's known as reactive hypoglycemia. So many of us have probably, you know, drank something with a lot of sugar in it or eaten something with a lot of sugar in it. And then afterwards, kind of feel that like, like lull, they feel a little bit kind of down and lethargic. Uh, that is most commonly associated with a drop in blood sugar levels, also known as reactive hypoglycemia. So hypo, low, glycemia, which basically means the amount of glucose in your blood. Um, so when these people are now, of course, going into a workout, we want to make sure we have good amounts of energy, right? We want to be able uh, to work at high intensities. We want to be able to work for prolonged periods of time because that essentially is what's going to help us burn the most amount of calories. Uh, when people are consuming a lot of these fast digesting carbohydrates, these simple sugars, um, these monosaccharides right before their workout, yeah, they cause a little bit of a spike in blood sugar right away but that spike soon comes down just as low as it did go up. So whatever their baseline may have been, their blood sugar is going to drop considerably lower than that. And they're going to get into their workout 10 minutes later, and they're going to feel terrible. They're going to feel, they're going to feel drained. They're going to feel tired and they're not really going to be able to have a great workout. So therefore um, eating something right before your workout is probably not the best way of going about it. Uh, in conjunction with carbohydrates, fat and protein, on the other hand, digest at much slower rates, right? Mm -hmm. So eating fat and protein right before workout is probably a really bad idea. Uh, you mentioned the bloating, the fullness, the distension, all those things. A lot of that, uh, especially if people eat right before their workout, 
um, is kind of due to several factors. First off, fat and protein, if that's what they're eating, let's say they, they eat, you know, generally speaking, a chicken breast with some olive oil on top would be a, a great healthy meal choice for most people, right? Um, right? However, if somebody's eating that 30 minutes before a workout, they don't have nearly enough time to digest that, right? I mean, it could take, right. everybody has different digestive rates and that's based on a lot of different factors, of course, as, as you know. Um, however, no one is going to be able to digest a full chicken breast with mm -mm. a tablespoon of olive oil on it within a half hour of working out. Um, and as soon as you start working out, one of the things that happens is your body tries to divert most of its blood right. from other areas to the exercising muscles, right? So that it can provide right. nutrients, it can provide oxygen and those sorts of things. And it can clear out a lot of the lactic acid and stuff, depending on the type of workout you're doing. Um, so where does it get a lot of that blood from? It takes it away from the digestive process, right? So right. your body slows down digestion even further because now it doesn't have blood to absorb a lot of the nutrients that it's breaking down, right? So it's, it's pretty intuitive like that. Um, so the kind of long answer now to your question is, uh, yes, eating around your workout is definitely important um, and it definitely matters. Uh, however, at the same, and you can benefit from doing it appropriately as well. A little bit of carbohydrate before workout is not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of really fast digesting carbohydrate before your workout could definitely be a bad thing because of, like I mentioned, that significant drop in blood sugar levels. And then on top of that, the fat and proteins just digest at such a slow rate. You start getting that distension, you start getting that bloating, and then it makes it much harder to exercise at that point too. Um, so another thing that I kind of want to touch on with this as well is when people are eating really well for a long period of time um, and they have really good healthy eating habits, they can kind of buy themselves a little leeway with their pre-exercise nutrition. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be spot on. Um, as long as they're getting in good nutrients most of the time, they should be in a pretty good place to work out. So my point being is they don't have to be super dialed in, like let's say an Olympic sprinter or, you know, a, a marathon mm -hmm. runner might have to be right before a major event. Um, they should have good amounts of nutrients, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit um, on further questions, kind of like ready to go. Like their body should be storing good amounts of energy in their muscle. Their body should have good amounts of free floating amino acids. Um, it's the people that don't eat very healthy or don't have generally good eating habits that are going to have a harder time with their workouts um, because they just don't have a lot of that energy stored in the muscle. They don't have those, those proteins in the blood that can be used for um, muscle regeneration and muscle, muscle protein synthesis. Right. Um, you know, so really somebody preparing themselves for their next workout nutritionally should start right at the end of their previous workout. That's when it's important to get in a good source of protein. We'll talk about whey protein um, yeah. on some of the later questions, which I love, uh, pending it's a good source, of course. Um, and at that point too, depending on the type of workout, people can consume some carbohydrates um, pending health conditions and pending body composition. You know, um, When you're working out, uh, especially at high intensities, carbohydrates are the primary fuel. Uh, that your muscles use efficiently and quickly to produce, you mentioned ATP, adenosine triphosphate. 
Right. Uh, carbohydrates produce ATP way faster than anything else, like infinitely faster, right? The other primary source really is, is, is fat. Um, fat Ketones. gets broken down. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, so you're talking to a carnivore here. Right. I've been, <laughs> right? So, and most, so I, I'm on a, I eat zero carbs, you know, okay. yeah. once in a while I'll have something, yeah. but um, mostly I would say I'm 90% carnivore. Yeah. So my energy comes from ketones. It's, yeah, absolutely. It, and it's and, and super it takes, efficient. It's very efficient. Yeah. And most of my clients I would say are middle-aged and looking to lose weight. Yeah. Well, the only way to really drop fat is to become a fat burner. How Absolutely. do you become a fat burner? You have to have, you have to produce more ketones yeah. and less glucose because your body through gluconeogenesis is going to create the glucose your muscles need for energy when you need it anyway. Totally. Totally. So I get the whole carb thing. Like my boys are all super athletic and they can carb load and, yep. and have all of that. Like their post-workout shake, which we're going to get into, they can put in dextrose or they can put in the the berries and the banana because they're they're just metabolically flexible but someone like myself i i can't i couldn't do that that would not make me feel good i would feel just um i would crash really yeah. hard and there's a lot of other folks out there so i like that there's you know um two sources of energy there's yeah, glucose so, and there's ketones, right, which comes right. from fat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really a um, a sustained energy source too, right? Like yes. you only have so much carbohydrate in your body, right? I think like most people may store like up to 500 grams of carbohydrates total throughout their entire body um, in their muscle, and and the liver is the other place that most of the carbohydrates are stored. Uh, fat on, so 500 grams of carbs doesn't really go very far when you're doing high level activity. If you want to go out and do a long hike or do an excursion or, or a bike ride or something like that. So your body has to rely on fat as its primary fuel source, right? Right. Um, now the uh, carbohydrate. So, um, the, out of the three, uh, macronutrients, Carbohydrates are the only ones that are not really essential for human exactly. life, right? Like right. there, we'll talk about essential amino acids. We'll talk about essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. There are no essential carbohydrates, right? Nope. So mm -mm. you don't, a human can live like a really long, a really healthy life and almost never have any carbohydrates in their diet right. at all, right? Um, the only downside to that is they can only produce energy at a certain rate right? Like your, your body is governed by physiological processes that have taken millennia to evolve into what humans are today, right? right. Um, carbohydrates are, are really fast acting energy sources, but they die out really quick. Yep. That on the other hand is a super sustainable energy source, but it just takes a little bit longer, right? So right. I tell most of my clients uh, two things when it comes to kind of determining what their macronutrient balance should be. Carbohydrates need to match your activity level, right? If you're like your sons, if they're super lean, which they are, I've met them, um, and they're super active and they're training really hard and they're training really often at really high intensities, carbs are fine. For the rest of us that kind of, you know, we work out and we work out as hard as, as our bodies will allow us to, but mm -hmm. there's no way we can work out at 
35, 40, 50, 60, as hard as we could have when we were 20, right? So right. as intensity levels subsequently continue to come down, we need to match our macronutrients around what our body's capabilities are. Um, so if you're really lean and you're working out really hard, and let's say you like to compete in you know long distance, like high intensity cycling events through the mountains of Colorado, yeah, carbs are probably going to be super helpful. However, for a lot of people that aren't working out at very high intensities, they probably don't need very many at all outside of, of course, fiber, fiber being super important for digestion. Um, yeah. But when you're, when you're a carnivore, there's it's zero carb, zero fiber. So, you know, you don't, our bodies really don't need fiber or the carbs, right? Those are they're and the same thing, yeah, right? Yeah. But it does, yeah. if, if anyone out there is interested in going carnivore, I suggest, highly suggest you read a very good carnivore book. And also that you give your time, your body time to switch over. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. Our bodies have been going the way we've been going based on our nutritional habits for decades, right? Mm -hmm. And so it takes time to break down those mechanics internally, like our cellular mechanics and switch over to becoming a fat burner, whether you're keto or whether you're carnivore. So whichever path you're on, whichever path, whichever path you're interested in, just know that this is not an overnight process. This is like months in the making of breaking down and rebuilding yeah. and re-signaling your cells to say, oh, okay, this is the path. This is the journey we're on now. We've got to switch over a lot of things and yeah. have a different mindset, which brings me into another, um, we're sort of, um, this is a great segue for my next question, which is how important is it to know your why? Here we are talking about all these three, the, the macronutrients, yep. but you got to know your why. When my clients come to me, why do you want to lose weight? Mm -hmm. I want to know why you're here because that is what's going to set the pace and the tone for your health journey. Yeah. So uh, is your why that you want to compete at, you know, on a college level and then go pro, or are you, you know, 52 like me, and you just want to be lean and have, you know, feel vibrant and feel and have longevity and be able to run around with your grandchildren one day, um, which I'm sure I'm going to have like a shit ton of those with five kids, but <laughs> right. So, um, so how important is it knowing your why? I think it's super important. Um, I think like a lot of the things that we touched on earlier, right? Like it, like you mentioned, if you're a high level athlete and you want to compete at the highest level um, and you want to make sure that your body is producing energy as fast as you're demanding for it to, um, for instance, uh, like I mentioned before, a 400 meter sprinter or a 100 meter sprinter or a high level hockey player like your sons have been um, and current, currently are, you know, they are going to need to have different types of dietary protocols than someone who needs to get healthier that need that, you know, maybe pre-diabetic or maybe has some sort of metabolic, metabolic disorder. dysfunction. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, those people, and that's really, I mean, diabetes of course is the extreme of carbohydrate and energy toxicity, right? The, the people right. have consumed too many for too long and their muscles, which is, Basically, the primary soil, of course, your central nervous system too can use carbohydrates for energy, but the muscles use it more so than really any other part of the body. Um, the muscles just won't accept carbs anymore. So mm -hmm. 
what do they do? They either continue to float around the blood and you maintain high glucose levels in your blood, or they get converted and stored as fat, which of course, you know, the fatter you get, it just starts that whole like metabolic dysregulation circus that, that just kind of perpetuates itself even further. Um, All right. So, so now let, let's take, let's take person yeah. A who comes in, they're pre-diabetic or they yeah. have got type two or, you know, metabolic dys dysfunction mm -hmm. and carbs are their enemy. Yeah, absolutely. I, so, so I'm the health coach and I'm saying, all right, person A, you're going to train with Bobby and I, you and I have a discussion and this person's why is that he is very sick. Mm -hmm. And if he stays on this path and the way he's eating and not moving, gonna he's die. going to die. Yeah, right. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, or at least be a very miserable elderly <laughs> person. Yeah, right. right, right exactly. So, so now you know, I get that the car there's carbs and there's a place for carbs mm -hmm. in certain people's journey, but not person A. No, not so that now, person. so so now, what is person A gonna eat, and how, and when is he gonna eat before his workout? And let's just talk about also eating, um, working out in a fasted state while we're at this place. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do. I okay, love it. Yeah, perfect. Um, so that is that's great. That that is one of those things. I think that's literally been like the one of the most hotly debated topics in sport nutrition, exercise nutrition for the past two decades, probably. Um, there are very kind of like split trains of thought when it's like, no, you should never work out in a fasted state where then other people are like, you should always work out in a fasted state. Mm -hmm. I think that too is so highly dependent on the why you're yep. doing it, right? Um, and again, it gets back to, you know, what have you done in your life that's kind of prepared you for where you're currently at? If you're the overweight, pre-diabetic or, or God forbid, diabetic individual that, you know, has 45% body fat um, and needs and is, if they don't lose weight and kind of get themselves out of that metabolic dysregulation, they're most likely going to die. Yeah, working out in a fasted state may be great for that person. For a high-level athlete performing, um, you know, in the world championships, probably not no the best idea, right? So, right. Um, yeah, I think it, as as with a lot of these things, it has to be individualized, um, and I think uh, it can kind of get broken down into what the person is looking to accomplish. Um, if you know, you want to, so the downside to that may be there are probably, from a weight loss perspective, way more upsides. To yes. working out in a fasted state, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I think the research is pretty clear on that too. You yep. will burn more fat if you work out in a fasted state, right? Absolutely. Um, I think that they've, they've definitely determined that to be pretty definitive. What they've also determined is that most people that they've studied can't work out at quite as high of an intensity. So where is the kind of give and take there, right? You'll burn more fat during your workout if you work out at a fasted state. You probably won't be able to, based on the research, you probably won't be able to um, exercise at quite as high of an intensity. Um, so during your workout, you might not be able to burn quite as many calories, especially from a perspective of, we can talk about um, post-exercise oxygen consumption or excess post-exercise oxygen hmm. consumption, which is no, EPOC is the acronym. Um, and that is essentially, so when you're working out, uh, your body is going to burn carbohydrates or fat for fuel, right? Period. 
Um, And that is all determined by the intensity that you're working out. Now, if you don't have a lot of carbohydrates, you can only work at it at a certain intensity. That's just the way your your body works. And that's totally fine, um, depending on what you're looking to accomplish, of course, right? Now, if you're working out at a lower intensity because you're using fat as a fuel source, you're not able to work out quite as fast, right? Which is fine. Mm -hmm. You'll still burn a lot of calories. It might just take a little bit longer, right? Where if you're working out at a high intensity, maybe you can burn 400 calories in 40 minutes, arbitrary Mm -hmm. numbers. If you're working out at a slightly lower intensity, it may take 60 minutes to burn 400 calories. You're still burning 400 calories. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter, right? The higher intensity workout, however, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit murky, gets you into a state known as excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, EPOC, right? Mm -hmm. So that after your workout is finished, you may, if you're in this oxygen debt, so to speak, you may burn just as many calories after the workout, recovering from it that you did during the workout, right? When you're, yeah. So when you're not working out at quite as high of an intensity, you don't get yourself into that epoch state afterwards. So you may be able to burn the same amount during the workout. It may take a little bit longer, which is totally fine, but then you're not going to burn quite as many thereafter, right? And that's why essentially you can see people that don't do longer steady state cardio, uh, you know, like high level sprinters and, um, you know, like power athletes and things and, and people like that, that can be super lean and never really do long steady state cardio, right? They're never actually burning fat during their workouts, but they train at such a high intensity and they're burning so many carbs during their workout, they get themselves into that epoch and that recovery process burns all their fat for them after the workout is done. So, and you're not just talking about like a professional or college no, athlete, you're talking no. about like everyone, like someone like me. Yes, absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. Someone like you, someone like me. Yeah, for sure. So that's where it's kind of, that's where it gets a little bit murky, right? Like if you can't work out quite as hard, you're not going to get yourself into that epoch state. You're not going to burn quite as many calories after the workout's done, but if you train at a lower intensity, you'll be able to train longer. And then you can kind of make up the calories that you're not burning afterwards, just while doing your workout, you know? So interesting. That's the first, I've never knew that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I never do cardio. I only do weight and resistance training. Right. And you're super lean too. And I'm in the first, when I, yeah, when I first went carnivore, which will be a year in April, Mm -hmm. um, best decision of my life. Yeah. I, based on my blood work, my thyroid is imbalanced. My hormones are imbalanced. My workouts are great. I dropped 5% body fat. Amazing. And at 52, when I'm, you know, post-menopausal or getting yeah. there, you know, that is really challenging to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get a lot of women who just feel fatigue and don't sleep mm-hmm. and feel agitated and moody and they've gained weight around their midsection. And so um, I really like hearing this because it's, um, it just sort of confirms that there's a different equation for everybody's exactly why. It. That's a thousand percent. My why is my why. And, you know, my daughter works out a different way and eats a different way and she looks great and feels great. And, you know, her why is different. Her equation is different. Totally. You know, very interesting information, which leads me to breaking down different workouts and how to fuel for each one. And is there a difference? Like 
So we've got cardio, which is like running, walking, cycling, spinning. And then we've got strength training, which hit is a little bit of both mm -hmm. yoga, Pilates, resistance, and weight training. And so should like, let's say I do yoga one day and the next day I'm doing weight training. And we'll, let's just use me as an example. Mm -hmm. Should the nutrition each day pre or post workout be different? And I Definitely. tend to work out early in the mornings in mm -hmm. a fasted state. Yep. So what does it look like? What, what should that look like? Yeah, uh, it, it has to be um, because uh, like I mentioned, the activity is going to determine what macronutrient, how you're getting your energy basically, right? So if you're going for a long walk, if you're doing a, a, a long distance hike, if you are um, going out and riding your bike, if you're doing yoga, if you're working you're, you're exercising, you have a, a good level of activity, but you're not really working out at a very high level of intensity. Mm. You don't need carbohydrates for those workouts, right? Like you, I mean, a little before, a little after is fine. It's certainly not, I don't believe it's going to hurt you. Um, for most people that pre-diabetic or, or, you know, type two person yeah, yeah. Is, is obviously another extreme. Um, however, those types of people on those days, definitely don't need to eat nearly as many. They don't need to eat as many calories those days. They definitely don't need to eat as many carbohydrates those days um, because they're not asking their muscles to work at nearly as high of an intensity as they would be if, let's say, they were doing a 60-minute HIIT training session or let's say somebody wanted to get into CrossFit or something along those lines, right? There's mm -hmm. a lot of very high intensity. People use the term Metcon or metabolic conditioning, those mm -hmm. types of sessions, right? Um, those training sessions where everyone's had when they're working out that burning sensation, let's say you're, you jump on the, the bike or the cycle ergometer and you pedal as hard as you can at a really high intensity for 60 seconds your legs are, are burning, they're cached, right? Um, that is, people commonly know that or associate that burning with lactic acid. Technically, that's actually not true. Um, it's actually a change in pH or an increase in acidity of the tissue around the muscle, um, which is a byproduct of the energy that they're producing um, hmm. to work out at a high intensity, right? So uh, these, um, increases in acidity or decreases in pH, um, are essentially from some of the metabolic byproducts that are developed through the energy, um, creating process, right? Uh, so when people are doing workouts that produce a high amount of lactic acid, they are using a lot of the stored carbohydrates in their muscle, right? Lactic acid is not produced when you're burning fat. Lactic acid is only produced when you're burning carbohydrates. So if you're feeling that lactic acid production, your body is using carbohydrates to produce ATP, right? During and, well, excuse me, um, for, for the most part, before and after those types of workouts, it is probably more suitable to consume carbs than it would be if you weren't working out at that sort of an intensity, right? Okay, give me an example of the type of carb because I don't want people okay. thinking it's like chips or no, 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 no. white flour tortillas, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah, or cereal, granola, yeah, no, you know. No. So what are you recommending? Yeah, no. So I mean, like, like fruit would be a great option, right? Um, 
especially, uh, you know, berries have super high antioxidants, uh, mm -hmm. you know, thin skinned fruits would be a good source also. Um, you know, like uh, anything first off, and, and of course, I know you and I think very similarly about food qualities. Uh, we're talking about macronutrients, we're talking about energy production and its association with, um, you know, exercise and performance and those sorts of things. Yep. Uh, I should interject really quick and say probably the most important thing when it comes to nutrition. Well, first off, making sure that you're not overeating excessively, right? Mm -hmm. um, energy toxicity is a real thing. And if you're eating way too much, even if it is high quality foods, you're probably going to gain weight, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. However, the quality of food is, I can't overstate its importance, right? Like a carbohydrate is not like a carb is not a carb is not a carb. Like, right. right. Like carbohydrates from the things that you said, like cereal and granola and like processed flours are not the same type of carbs that you're going to get from like, you know, an organic sweet potato or, um, you know, like, um, gluten certified, gluten-free rolled oats or something along those lines. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, those would be if people are going to eat carbohydrates after those extremely high intensity exercise sessions, you have to be getting it from good sources of carbs, right? You have to be getting it from your non-processed sources, prepping your own food, making sure that it's coming from whole food sources and non-processed sources is super, super important. Um, I, know, I know you know a lot about this too, Jill, but uh, even more research is coming out these days about the importance of the gut microbiome and how yep. important that is for overall health. Right. And like, yes. they're uncovering things all the time. Like there is crosstalk between your gut microbiome and your cell mitochondria. Mm -hmm. um, in, and every cell in your body has mitochondria. Right. So yep. the healthier you can make your gut microbiome, the more it upregulates the processes of your um, cell mitochondria, the more it starts to burn fat as a fuel source also. Um, right. What wreaks havoc on gut microbiome? Processed foods. We know that, you know, really crappy oils, um, inflammatory foods, like things that contain gluten, things that contain soy and, and corn and, and all mm -hmm. the really kind of crappy sources. A lot of times, you know, poor source, like really crappy sources of dairy also right. can be super inflammatory totally wreak havoc on the gut microbiome. And then, you know, you're putting yourself, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. Even if you're trying to get good macros in, you're trying to exercise properly, poor food quality can, can totally destroy a weight loss program, a body composition improvement program, a weight, like a, a muscle and weight gain type of program also, um, just right. because your body then just can't digest and assimilate and absorb those nutrients really well, you know? Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I see people walking in with a Starbucks muffin to, you know, yoga or a weightlifting session, I'm thinking, what on earth are what they you, doing? And doing? so it goes back, it goes back to the why, if your yeah. why is you want to lose 30 to 50 pounds, if you're that overweight and you still have the mindset of, well, I worked out today. I, I deserve a reward. I can mm -hmm. have, you know, five cookies and, you know, sugar is addicting. It and is. these refined carbs, these refined sugars are addicting. They are yeah. more addicting than cocaine in yeah, our absolutely. brain. That yeah. is a scientific fact. Yeah, fact. Um, so, absolutely. so if you're on the journey, commit to the journey, yeah, you know, totally. have somebody like a health coach or a trainer or somebody help hold you accountable yeah. to your fitness and your overall wellness goals. Absolutely. And, and the food is the most important because the food either 
directs traffic in a positive way or directs traffic in a very negative way. Very negative. And, and the negative way is hard to come back from. Yeah. And um, so, so food is your map, is, is your map to wellness. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to, um, oh, wait, uh, one more thing before I move mm -hmm. on. Yeah. When you're talking about the carbs and eating fruit, mm -hmm. which has fructose, are you referring to post-workout or pre-workout? Mm -hmm. Mostly post-workout. Okay. Um, and I say that, yeah, because your body, you mentioned gluconeogenesis earlier, right? Yep. Gluconeogenesis is the process by which your body, specifically your liver, produces carbohydrates from other things, right? Mm -hmm. um, gluconeogenesis. Fat and protein. Yep, exactly right, from fats and proteins. Um, the gluconeogenesis essentially can create glucose, which can then eventually be converted into what's known as glycogen. Right. Glycogen is the storage form of carbohydrate in your muscle and your liver, right? Those are the only two right. places really only two. that, yep, that the carbohydrates get stored is glycogen. Um, and after a workout, even if you're not really eating a lot or, or, or any carbohydrates at all, your body is going through that process of gluconeogenesis and using protein that you eat, fats that you eat, or fats potentially that you have stored and converting them into glycogen to be stored in the muscle, right? So you may not have quite as high levels of glycogen as somebody that's, let's say, eats a lot of, of sugar, or a lot of carbohydrates, but your body is, is going through those processes anyway, right? So um, by the time you go to work out again, let's say, let's say you work out at 10 a.m. one morning, you don't work out again until 10 a.m. the next morning. Your body has had time to go through that process of gluconeogenesis mm -hmm. and restore the carbohydrates that you burned during your, exer your previous exercise session in the muscle again, right? Um, so by the time you're going to work out, you have carbs in your muscle that are ready to be used as energy. Right. However, once you go through your workout, you break, especially if you're working out at a high intensity, you break all those carbohydrates down again. Your yep. muscles become extremely sensitive to getting more carbs back into them to be stored as energy, right? So you have that right. process of gluconeogenesis, which is great, mm -hmm. um, which you can use and you can leverage that for sure for people that need to improve body composition. You can also, if you're eating some form of carbohydrate like fruit, um, like you know, a sweet potato or something like that, after you go through a really intense workout, you break down all your carbohydrates in your muscle. Your muscles like are like a sponge for carbs, right? right? Like they're depleted. Yeah, exactly right. So mm -hmm. they want to restore everything yep. that you've just depleted. So if you eat a little bit of carbs after your workout, all of that is going right into the muscle tissue to be used as energy. Pending, again, you're not in a diseased state, right. pre-diabetic, diabetic, metabolic disorder, um, or even if you're, you know, let's say, you know, your doctor has told you several times that your blood sugar levels are trending high. You know, I mean, we want blood glucose levels to kind of average around um, 80 for the most part, right? Um, what nanograms per deciliter, I think. Yes. Uh, right. Um, if they start trending up 85, 90, 95, 100, you may not necessarily be diabetic. You may not even be pre-diabetic, but those are still pretty high blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. For those people, they don't, they don't need to be eating carbs after their workout, right? They have enough sugar in their blood that their body is going to shuffle that into their muscle tissue. Right. If for the people that are lean enough, that are healthy enough, that their doctor has given them, you know, the, the kind of um, go ahead to start exercising and eating healthy and those sorts of things. If those people have a little carbs after their workout, only if they're working out at a high intensity, most of those carbs are going to go straight into the muscle tissue. And that's totally fine. 
But again, they got to come from good sources. So I'm chuckling inside thinking about Mike Beistel. Okay. Mike Beistel is one of Bobby's mentors Correct. over at Poliquin training. Correct. And he was one of my um, most recent uh, trainers and very good friend. Yeah. And we used to talk about this, like who deserves carbs and who yeah. doesn't. He, yeah. used, he, he made it so simple. He said, if you can see your six pack, you can have some carbs, that's healthy, it. good carbs. But if that's you don't it. get, if you don't have a six pack, you're not in that club, right? And I still, that, like, I still think about that, you know? Yeah, yeah like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, but, it's, it's really true though. Yeah. You know, we, we could joke about it, of course. Right. Uh, but that's probably one of the easiest ways to know whether or not your body is kind of prepared to be able to actually use them efficiently for mm -hmm. energy or if it's gonna store them as fat, right? And a right. lot of this stuff comes from what your body is kind of signaling things to do, right? These, they're uncovering more about what, what are known as secondary signaling pathways. Um, and these signaling pathways essentially tell your body to do everything. Signaling pathways tell your body to build more muscle tissue. They tell your body to store more fat or mm -hmm. burn more fat or mm -hmm. use carbohydrates as an energy source, right? So. Uh, an easy way to tell if your body is efficient at using carbs for energy is if you're lean. If you're not right. lean, your body's probably not very efficient at using carbs for energy. So you shouldn't really be eating very many. That's well, right. And that's, and you've mentioned body composition uh, several times during this interview and um, body composition. If, if you're out there listening and you don't know what that is, it's, it's a series of tests and numbers on your body that measures your body mass index or your BMI. It measures your BMR, your um, basal metabolic rate. It measures how much fat you have on your body, your intra and extracellular water among all this. This is all gathering information for your body to map out your wellness goal. And if your waist is, I think the BMI for women is somewhere between like Twenty to twenty-five men, it's a little larger. But if you're out of the normal range and your waist is your waist circumference is bigger than that, then you are either in or on your way into some combination of metabolic dysfunction. Yeah. And you know, it's those people that don't deserve the carbs. Just right. don't eat the carbs, right? right. Exactly. But right. again, when we talk about carbs, we are talking about healthy sources of carbs. Root vegetables mm -hmm. are great. Some people can handle white rice. I always say, if you're going to eat white rice, um, if you're one of those people, make it into a resistant starch so it's better for your gut. And what you do is you cook your white rice, totally. you put it in your refrigerator, let it completely cool off, and then reheat it up again to eat it. Now you have a resistant starch, which is like a, a probiotic for your uh, prebiotic, prebiotic for your, yep. Yep, for your gut microbiome, yep. super yep. healthy for, for all the different bacteria in our gut. Yep. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to men versus women. Cause okay. for sure, there's gotta be a little bit of a difference. You know, should we be eating differently? I always talk about our muscles as being our longevity organ, the most yeah. important to aging yeah. without muscles, we fall, we lose our bone density mm -hmm. and we put ourselves in harm's way of developing sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what sarcopenia is, it is a really nasty disease of the elderly. When you see elderly people, you know, in wheelchairs or, you know, trying to walk and they're so thin and frail, that is sarcopenia. Yeah. And the most important thing we can do, the earlier, the better, 
is to eat enough protein yep. to support building and maintaining muscle mass. And that doesn't just happen by eating a burger or a steak, by the way, you have to do the work too, right? Yeah, you have to put in the work, the resistance training. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying cardio is bad. I'm just saying weight training to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the most important as we yeah. age. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, yeah. and also, in, um, um, if we muscle waste, mm -hmm. our testosterone, which both men and women produce, yep. goes down. Yeah. And then we just feel like shit, yep. right? Absolutely. So um, let's talk about this, you know, the difference between men and women and, and finding the right macronutrient. And let's just talk about protein because I've mentioned sarcopenia okay. and muscle building. So let's just talk about protein um, as the macronutrient and the differences between men and women. Perfect. That sounds great. Um, so can I give a little background on what protein Absolutely. is? Okay, cool. Yes. Um, so protein, first off protein, everything in, in the human body is made up of protein basically. So people think of protein, they think of muscle, right? Um, which is fine uh, because muscle is primarily, well, it's mostly, I mean, the human body in general is mostly water, uh, but outside of water, protein is, is the second most abundant nutrient in the human body, right? It makes up everything and everything is protein synthesis. So yes, it makes up skeletal muscle tissue or the muscles that we know that help us move. It also makes up cardiac muscle tissue. It also makes up, which of course is your heart. It makes smooth muscle tissue, which is your blood vessels. It makes protein makes um, your skin. It makes your bones. It makes your immune cells, which is super important these days, right? Oh yeah. Um, everyone's talking about healthy immunity. Uh, what do you think immune cells come from? They are protein based, right? Um, so proteins uh, are really essential for human life, for health, for longevity, um, for everything, right? Um, and like I mentioned, they're super abundant in the human body, um, but there is a constant state of protein turnover, right? So your body is, I'll use skeletal tissue um, as an example, your body is constantly breaking down and building up bones and muscle. There, there's, it, it is happening 24 seven, right? right. Um, so what does that mean? That means you need to continuously be providing your body with the raw material, protein from your diet, Mm -hmm. to help it continue to go through those normal processes of building protein back up, building up bone, building up muscle and other tissues as well, building up immune cells, right? Um, super important and pro building up you know, uh, your body's ability to digest, or excuse me, to detoxify because detoxification has two phases. The second phase is protein dependent. So you can't get rid of toxins if you don't have enough protein, right? Um, so what is protein made of? Protein is made up of amino acids. You talked about EAAs, essential amino acids before. Um, there are technically, there, there are really, there are two categories of essential, uh, or excuse me, of amino acids. There's essential, which we, which we discussed briefly, and there's non-essential, right? Um, so there are, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's 21 amino acids mm -hmm. total, nine of which are essential, right? Mm -hmm. um, the others are not, the other uh, 12. Um, are non-essential. However, there's another category call, called conditionally essential amino acids as well. Um, and so what essential amino acids means is that your body cannot synthesize them, right? right. Um, you mentioned the branch chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Those are three of the essentials. 
Um, there are, you know, six other ones. Methionine is one. Uh, anyway, so your body has, you have to get these from your diet. You cannot right. make them. Um, if you don't get these essential <clears throat> amino acids in, you're going to have some sort of amino acid imbalance uh, and your body can downregulate or basically shut off its process of rebuilding tissue, right? So right. you won't, if you can, if you just have a deficiency of one of the essential amino acids, your body can literally shut down its protein buildup process. So you won't be able to build muscle. You won't be able to build bone, um, which obviously, especially as we age is extremely important. So uh, you need to be getting in all of your essential amino acids. Um, and that you, you, you referenced being a carnivore yourself um, and the importance of meat in the diet. As you know, I am not personally a proponent of veganism or vegetarianism. I understand that there are people that do it right. and that are gonna do it. Um, I would argue, or at least I would hope <laughs> it is more for moral reasons than for yes. health reasons. Absolutely. Um, and I can't argue with people that are doing it for moral reasons. Obviously right. you and I think a little bit differently than they do about it. Um, however, people need to be aware that you have to be getting in all of your nine essential amino acids from your diet, right? Yes. Uh, all animal product, all animal protein based products, you know, meats, um, you know, fish, poultry, whatever contain all nine essential amino acids. So when something contains all essentials, it's known as a complete protein, right? Mm -hmm. Um, there are outside of soy, there are no places in the plant kingdom that contain complete proteins. They, they just, it just doesn't exist. Right. Which is fine for vegans. The problem is, however, then they have to start combining foods. Yep. That's where like red beans and rice came in, mm -hmm. right? People started getting these food combinations to get all the nine essential amino acids to make their complete protein. Right. Problem with it then is twofold. A, it is a very non-efficient way to get protein, uh, meaning that you have to eat so much volume of red beans and rice and in conjunction, it comes along with a ton of carbohydrates. So yeah, you could potentially meet the amount of protein that you need to eat by doing it through those sorts of means. Um, however, you're getting a ton of carbs and you're getting an excess, a, a huge abundance of calories as well. Um, right. So is it really hard to lose weight and improve body comp while eating vegan? Yeah, it, it, especially if you wanna maintain muscle mass um, because you just have to eat so many carbs and so many calories to get the required amount of protein, right? So yeah, and I, I think just uh, while I interrupt you for a second, please, I think please. it's also really worthwhile to talk about the anti-nutrients that exist in mm -hmm. the plant kingdom. Phytic so, acid, absolutely. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, lectins, oxalates, yep. phytic acid, yep. all of these are disruptors to our gut microbiome mm -hmm. that then leach out, create a leaky gut syndrome, leach yep. out into our bloodstream and cause a lot of pro-inflammatory um, issues, you totally. know? And totally. it's, if you have an autoimmune disorder, oh, you, you, you cannot eat this stuff, no. right? This no, is just absolutely. a no-no. Yeah. Um, and so when we talk about men versus women, mm -hmm. I think it's a lot easier for men to sit down and eat a steak or a burger, you sure. know, no bun, maybe you use a lettuce wrap, whatever it is. Sure. I think it's very difficult being a health coach and having a lot of, you know, middle-aged female clients. Yeah. I, I see the struggle, you know, they, they, maybe the woman on the yoga mat next to them is very lean and right. her equation is her equation. Right. Yeah, totally. But it's, it, you know, people want what others have, yeah. but we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And these, right. these anti-nutrients really cause problems. If we yeah. think back, you know, 
in the time that plants even became a thing on our planet, they're like animals don't want to be killed and eaten. Humans don't want to be killed and eaten and nor do plants. Plants were there to survive. Their defense mechanisms are built in anti-nutrients. So the best is to cook this, but when you're a vegan and you're eating an abundance of red beans and rice, you're getting an overabundance of plant toxins that your gut. That's right. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah um, so I just so wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a good point that, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. not everyone, but there are, unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people that think they're doing themselves a favor by eating vegan. Um, and look, I, I understand too, there are certainly going to be people that genetically, maybe that's just something that their body right. would respond better to. And I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, and I honestly do believe that, that people like that do exist, that just, don't respond very well to a lot yep. of meat consumption, you know, uh, maybe their, you know, digestive enzymes just don't support it, or maybe, you know, meat, maybe they have some sort of a, um, an allergic re- reaction to it. And mm-hmm. that could upregulate those pro-inflammatory um, processes and cytokines and things. Uh, so sure, I get that exists, but for the mass majority of people, um, they, they will never be able to really get an abundant amount of protein uh, through just eating from plant-based types of sources, right? Especially like you mentioned, if they are eating them raw, they're getting a lot of those anti-nutrients in, not only are they uh, not getting enough of, of the things that they need to stay healthy, i.e. again, protein, uh, but then those anti-nutrients block their body's ability to absorb them, even exactly. if they were, right? Right. right. So um, yeah, I, I, I honestly believe that uh, people need to really kind of do their research and educate themselves on the importance of making sure that they're getting in the proper sources of protein, they're getting in enough protein, which I'll get to in just a second, um, and uh, they're getting it from foods that have complete proteins or all the essential amino acids. Um, so in regards to your, your previous question about men and women eating differently, um, I, you may, you can correct me if I'm wrong. However, I don't really believe that men and women need to eat very differently at all. Um, I I don't either. Yeah. Right. I like, uh, now the caveat of course, uh, is women can manipulate their diet a little bit around their, their menstrual cycles, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, there are, uh, I think there are even specific diets that are nut and seed based that, that, uh, you know, up and mm-hmm. down, regulate different, different hormones and everything that can kind of, um, it's called seed cycling, seed cycling. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, yeah. so in that regard, sure. The, the diets between men and women can be a little bit differently, but you're getting really specific at that point. And that's probably more appropriate for women that may have some sort of menstrual imbalance. Maybe mm-hmm. they have some degree of amenorrhea. Um, maybe they have some sort of you know, estrogen hormone imbalance or something like that. Right. Some, those types of diets may benefit them, but for the the vast majority of people that are relatively healthy and, and, and not pathologic, men and women really should should eat pretty similarly. You know, mm-hmm. everyone needs their protein. Everyone needs their essential amino acids. Everyone needs their essential fatty acids as well. Their omega threes, six, nines, yep. those sorts of things. Um, and uh, you know, everyone needs their micronutrients as well. Of course, their 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 vitamins. Their you know, water soluble, they're fat soluble, um, water soluble, uh, uh, of course, basically being their, all their B vitamins and, and vitamin C, and then their fat soluble being everything else, the A, D, E, and K. 
Um, yeah, many... so I want to I want to mention the, a, the ADEX. Yeah. I call them ADEX. Yeah. So ADEX being fat soluble, yeah. it, you need fat to help transport, have to right? Have yep, have you to. have to. So when I see you know men and women drinking green juices. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And walking in to do a workout, I think to myself, well, well, that's a waste of, you know, $18 because <laughs> your, your ADEX are not going to be absorbed, no. completely non-utilized. They're going to yep. be completely, you know, drained out of you. Right. And you know, what did you, what'd you get for that? You got probably nothing. nothing, probably nothing. Absolutely nothing. But in their, exactly. But in yeah. their mind, they're fueling with all these, you know, beautiful colors of from sure. mother earth right sure. it just right. it doesn't work that way if you're going to be a vegan if you're going to be a vegetarian you must you might need to supplement yeah. with outside powdered amino acids yep. right yep. or um things like selenium magnesium mm -hmm. things yes. like your bees your bees that you're not getting from beef yep. so if you're yep. going to do it and i support you know clients who come to me who are vegans. Yeah. For and moral purposes. Absolutely. Absolutely. But totally. I make sure that they are getting the full spectrum of macronutrients and the micronutrients yeah. and making sure it's even more important with them that the combinations are correct and the timing is correct and Absolutely. the amounts are correct. Yep. Yep. I yeah. totally agree. I totally agree. So now that we talked about, um, uh, protein. I want to talk mm -hmm. about creatine and then cool. we might have to do a part two series with you because okay. this is like, we, so oh no, <laughs> do not apologize. This is all such like fascinating, interesting uh, information that people need to know Good. and want yeah. to know. So yeah. let's talk about creatine. So Great. here's my experience with creatine. My mm -hmm. boys buy, you know, buckets this yeah. big of creatine powder. <laughs> right. Years ago, I had no clue what this was. And oh, all true. of a sudden I, you know, a month later, I look at them and they're like the Hulk. And I'm yeah, like, holy right. shit. You're like, what, what did you do? Cause God, totally. I'm not cooking any differently. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So for so many years, creatine had such a bad rap that it was yeah. a type of, um, it was being compared to steroids yeah, yeah, and the more research and the more podcasts and studying I have done on creatine, this is like it's good. The, the, a miracle food. It's amazing. I mean, I know. It, it is really, it's not even just about building lean muscle no, mass. I so. just learned through the research that it's amazing for supporting neurological diseases yep. and brain health, like Alzheimer's, yep. memory function, Parkinson's. Yep. And for me, I have the Alzheimer's gene. Like mm -hmm. I'm wondering how can I work creatine, even though I'm a carnivore, maybe I don't need as much, yeah. but I want to talk about this because it also helps to increase ATP production. Yep. Yep, and, exactly. and it's not just for men. This no. is for women too. Yeah. So I want to say creatine is made up of the three, three different amino acids, mm -hmm. arginine, glycine, and methionine. And what I find interesting is the arginine because yeah. a lot of men, women start losing their testosterone around age mid twenties. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And men start losing it around 35. Right. right. And every yep. year it goes down and yeah. we have to work very hard to keep it up, whether right. it's changing our diet or stress management, maybe there's even hormone replacement therapy involved, sure. but I love that creatine has arginine because L-arginine, as we know, helps produce and manufacture more testosterone in the yeah. body. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So yep. this is like this is amazing. It doesn't mean that you take creatine and you become the Hulk. No, so, no. so, oh, and this, here's one more thing before I hand it over to you. Sure. I thought this was a really interesting um, fact. Two to three pounds of red meat will give you the same amount of creatine in one teaspoon of creatine powder. I just thought that was fascinating. Pretty amazing. I know. I know. It's pretty crazy. 
Yeah. So like you mentioned, um, supplementing it with it, it could be great. Um, however, you don't necessarily need to, like, like you said, I mean, if you're eating a well, um, kind of supplied diet of good sources of red meat, which I'm, I'm sure, you know, you've talked about in the past and I'm sure your listeners have heard you talk about, uh, the difference between making, it's gotta be grass fed, right? Absolutely. It's gotta be organic. Um, free range is great. Also. I mean, if you can, find yourself some wild game red meat like elk or bison or ostrich or something along those lines. Um, you know, it, it would be a great source to get a lot of those nutrients in a lot of those amino acids that ultimately will kind of upregulate your body's own production of creatine um, and other amino acids like carnitine as well, which is super important for right. shuttling fat into the mitochondria to be used as energy, right? So um, a lot of the benefits from red meat um, can kind of give your body more of an ability to use energy, especially energy from fat, build lean tissue. And that doesn't, for, for the women listening in, that doesn't necessarily mean that if you're building lean tissue, tissue or building muscle that you're gonna look like the Hulk, right? right. Like building lean tissue um, is, is kind of dependent, you mentioned testosterone, on your body's like sex hormone levels and your, your balance between testosterone and other um, uh, sex hormones like cortisol and estrogen and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Most women just don't have the, a high enough level of testosterone to really build that much muscle mass, right? Like a lot of the women that we may see um, as far as like bodybuilders or weightlifters um, or, you know, extreme level athletes or, or you know, wrestlers or whatever, um, they are the like absolute minority. I mean, they are the 0.001% right. of women on the planet. Um, the vast majority of them, of women just don't have the ability to get that big. So I've had women come in and be like, I don't want to look too thick. I don't want to get too bulky. And I'm like, trust me, you won't. Like, it's just not physiologically, it's just not really possible. So right. women shouldn't really be, be scared of that with resistance training. They shouldn't be concerned with it. And I hate to see women that don't do enough resistance training because it's so important for their longevity and their health and their well-being. And I mean, everyone talks about bone density these days. The only way to maintain bone density is through tension, right? You need to create right. compressive forces on your bones, right? On your structural bones, like your hips and your femurs and your tibias um, and your spine. And if you're not loading them, i.e. you're not doing like body weight exercise, resistance training exercises, they're going to start breaking down. You talked about sarcopenia. Muscles start breaking down if they're not properly mm -hmm. loaded. So it's so important for men. It's so important for women too to do resistance training and weightlifting, if for nothing less, just to maintain their strength and maintain their bone density. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, so getting back to creatine, though. First off, I love creatine. Um, I use it with. I use it myself. I have been for years. Um, I give it to most of my athletes as well. Um, and I recommend many of my other clients that are just coming in for general wellness to take it also. Um, creatine is, so the kind of quick and dirty of creatine, creatine is essentially used in the muscle tissue to help produce ATP basically, right? Uh, or the reason creatine got a bad rap when it first started coming out back in probably the early 90s uh, wasn't necessarily because of the creatine itself it is or was at the time uh, the kind of the result of the really poor quality control of supplements. Um, and uh, as we know, 
if something is labeled as a supplement, there is no real regulatory body that right. governs the quality of the supplement, right? So at the time, back in the, in the early 90s, when creatine started coming out, yeah, you, were, you would get a creatine supplement and there would be some creatine in there, but there might also be like, you know, like, like powdered fructose or, mm -hmm. you know, um, I mean, there, there could be freaking sawdust in there for all we knew, you know, the, right. no one was testing it. So no one really knew and people were having adverse effects. It wasn't probably adverse effects from the creatine itself. It was an adverse effect from all the fillers that they right. were putting in there, right? Um, things today have definitely refined themselves a bit. Um, however, you definitely need to know the company that you're getting your supplements from, right? Like we have several companies that we use, one in particular, um, it's called Designs for Health, um, and they actually just started a, a kind of sister company, Designs for Sport, which has all a full NSF certified line. Um, we we use almost their their supplements exclusively, um, and we do that because we know them, we know their scientists. Um, I'm friends with their director of education. Like they are really really high quality, and they do a really good job. Their motto is science first, um, and I really think that they stand by their motto. Um, so we trust their supplements um, and the fact that they are NSF certified, um, which is the governing body that tests these things. Independently, right. um, tells us that we know we're getting a really good quality supplement that we can trust. So we will use their creatine um, and know that it's not going to cause a lot of the adverse effects that some of the poor quality creatine did several years ago. Um, so what creatine does uh, in the muscle tissue is kind of several fold. And you mentioned that your boys got really big and, and uh, kind of turned into the Hulk overnight. So uh, not getting too deep into physiology, but what basically happens is creatine definitely does and can cause some retention of water inside right. the muscle tissue, right? Not a bad thing necessarily. What mm -hmm. that does is that it creates what's known as muscle cell swelling mm -hmm. And that swelling is actually, we talked about those signals earlier, is actually a signal for your muscles to start going through the process of what's known as protein synthesis, muscle protein synthesis, right? So that muscle swelling, which by the way, is also the result of, of resistance training. Um, resistance training causes when you get that like really full feeling in your muscles, like after bodybuilders call it the mm -hmm. pump, right? Yep. You, do, you do a lot of bicep curls, your biceps right. feel like they're exploding. That's muscle swelling that creates one of those signals to tell the muscle to start going through the process of protein synthesis. Mm -hmm. um, that process is essentially what starts to build more muscle and more lean tissue. Uh, and that is basically the physiological process by which creatine affects the increase in lean muscle tissue. Additionally, like I mentioned earlier, it is really, really important for energy production. Um, specifically energy production of a very short duration. So in your muscle right now, in anyone's given muscle tissue, they probably have, call it three or four seconds worth of ATP to produce energy, right? After that, you have to start making it, right? Now we talked about making it from carbs. We talked about making it from fat. Um, fat is the slowest, carbs is much faster. There's an even faster way to make ATP and that's with the use of creatine. Um, so creatine attaches itself to, again, not to get too deep into physiology, but it attaches itself to a phosphate group. We talked about adenosine triphosphate, ATP, right? Mm, yeah. When energy is broken down, one of those phosphate groups gets broken off. 
that's what releases energy. Creatine is connected to another phosphate group that basically reattaches it to the, what is then adenosine diphosphate to resynthesize adenosine triphosphate, ATP. And it ah, happens. Okay. Yeah. And it happens instantaneously. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so cool. the more creatine you have, the more it can attach to a phosphate, the more it can replenish that ATP really quickly. So you probably have enough ATP right now to produce three or four seconds worth of work. You can then produce ATP really, really quickly with creatine for maybe another eight or 10 seconds. So call it like 10 to 12 seconds total of really fast ATP production before you have to start using carbs to develop energy, right? Mm -hmm. If you take creatine, you may be able to increase that to 13, 14, 15 seconds, mm -hmm. right? May not sound like a lot, but like whatever, an extra two or three seconds, who cares? If you think about it from a percentage perspective though, an extra two or three seconds on top of 12 is really significant, right? I mean, that's yeah. an extra 25% increase in wow. really quick energy production, you know? Right. Um, so let's just say hypothetically, somebody's running a 5K race, right? And at the end of their 5K, and this could be, this could be a, a world, you know, run, world-class runner, or it could be someone that just wants to go out and have a good time and, and do a good job, has a goal. I want to run 25 minutes in my 5K, whatever. Mm -hmm. They get to the end of their 5K and there's someone right next to them and they want to beat them out, their buddy, let's say, and, you know, they, they made a bet on who's going to win the 5K right. and they got to beat them out. They have some stored creatine in their muscle to produce energy really quickly. And that could be what gives them that extra kick at the last ah, okay. hundred meters of the 5k to push them through the end, you know, or it could be somebody that is, you know, I mean, hypothetically, you know, think of a, the worst case scenario, a car falls on top of a kid and you have to go like push it off or something. Um, it is the creatine that basically provides the energy for you to do really quick tasks that, 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 that require a lot of energy really fast too. So um, you talked about ATP production and mitochondrial function. That's essentially where the creatine comes in. Um, and for those reasons and the ability to increase muscle mass, I love using it as a supplement. Yeah, that's fascinating. I did not know a lot about creatine. Yeah, you know, it's, I just, it's really I had cool. The, yeah, I had the same thought of, of creatine, like so many of us out there who are uneducated about it, just that yeah. it blows you up and, yeah. you know, but, but used the right way and having someone explain this to you and show you how to use it and dose you the right way. Cause I yep. know there's two ways to do it. You can either yep. do it, you know, daily at like two to three grams, or you can, yep. you know, power load it and totally. you know, like seven to 10 days and do like 20 grams a day. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep, so totally. where would the two different versions come into play? Yeah. Um, so and, and bring this down to a level of like regular people trying okay. to get fitness goals. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so there are two types of creatine primarily that are used that are, that are sold on the market today. There's creatine monohydrate, mm -hmm. and then there's what's known as crealkaline. Um, mm -hmm. the, so creatine monohydrate has been the creatine that's been supplied for most right. of the time creatine has been around, right? Um, creatine monohydrate should, and probably needs to be loaded. Um, so what that means is starting off, you have to get it saturated in your muscle tissue. Okay. So. Um, you need to take a really high dose, like 20 grams is, is and it's powder and you mix it in a drink. It could be, it could be pill form also. They make, oh, caps, okay. they make capsules. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most of the time it's, it's powder form. Um, so you'll take your 20 grams per day for five days. You'll get it loaded up in the muscle and then you'll usually bring it down to, 
depending on the person's size, anywhere between two to four grams a day, basically. Um, the good thing about the crealkaline now, unfortunately, that really high dose is often associated with some of that water retention. And that's why people feel that bloating sometimes. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about the crealkaline is that it kind of loads the muscle tissue. It saturates the muscle really quick. Mm -hmm. so you, you don't have to do that loading period. Um, so if you can get a crealkaline supplement, uh, you can just use your two to four grams a day. And, you know, for bigger people, for men that are 200 or 220 pounds, four grams a day is a totally acceptable dosage. Uh, for what, about a, what about a high school athlete who's looking to put on 25 pounds, you know, so he can make the varsity football team and just yeah. he's right. What, what yeah, about that yeah. kid? Uh, th quite honestly, that kid doesn't need any more either. Um, you can use higher dosages. You're probably not going to get any more benefit from it. The muscle can only stand so much creatine saturation. So it's not like there's uh, an unlimited amount of space in there for it. So as soon as you get it saturated with the amount that it's going to hold on to, any higher dosage is not going to do any more. Basically at that point, it's really just maintenance. And is creatine something you put in a pre-workout drink, a post-workout drink, where does it fall on your workout? It really could be either. Like I mentioned, okay. it's yeah. Um, you're not really going to get the, the benefit of taking creatine around a workout for that workout. It's all about getting it saturated. Uh, in the okay. so, it builds yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. And this is not something you take every day for the rest of your life either, no, right? No, no, okay. not necessarily. No, um, you don't, A, you don't have to um, quite honestly. So first off uh, to my knowledge, and I, I know this for sure up until at least a couple of years ago when I was going through a lot of this stuff um, with some of my uh, master's coursework, uh, there had been no studies up until at least 2018 that has ever proven creatine to be bad, to be unhealthy right. at all, right? Right. Um, I don't believe they've come out with any in the past they two haven't. years. Yeah, nope. right. Mm -mm. Um, so therefore, you know, you can take it, you can take it indefinitely. Uh, I don't believe that it'll ever create any sort of negative adverse effects. I will give you a caveat really quick when we're done here, but um, uh, you don't have to, however. Uh, once you get it saturated in the muscle, you can either stop taking it altogether, um, and eventually the levels will come down again, and you should you can kick your consumption back up again, um, or you can just take a really low dose of, of a couple grams a day, or make sure you're eating enough red meat, and you'll probably right. get enough of the amino acids that your body can just synthesize it. You know? They were um, this one research paper I was reading the other day in preparation of this interview. Um, they were saying creatine is now showing positive. Um, effects on pregnant women for fetus growth. Wow. I mm -hmm. did not realize that. And that's, a yeah. pretty, that's a pretty, pretty incredible study. That's, that's yeah, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so just multi, really multi uses for creatine. Yeah. So Bobby, we've been talking for so long. It's been so amazing <laughs> and we have so much left to do for sure. We're doing a part two. That sounds great. So I want to just close it up here and part two, we're going to really break down nutrition and like build we're going to, I want to talk about protein powders, protein Great. bars. People want to know what to buy, how to buy it. What do we look at on the ingredient label? Great. You know, what are we looking for and how to build a better pre, you know, a meal replacement shake and a post-workout shake. They are Perfect. very different beasts. And I want sure. people to really understand the art of making the, the proper shake um, among talking about other things. Okay. So 
Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Oh my tonight. God, thank you. That was, this was great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, such a pleasure to Likewise. see you and talk to you and learn all this information. I hope folks out there have multiple takeaways from this. And for anyone in the Chicago area, if you are looking for an amazing personal trainer um, downtown, I'm going to put Bobby and his... Um, company's information in the notes um, on the Facebook page so you can contact him. You know where to find me at Jill Foose Wellness. And um, he's fabulous. As you can see, his gym is amazing. And I know during COVID, you've kept your gym extremely clean and safe yeah. for people. And it's also not a public gym. Correct. This is a private gym. So you must be there and working out with Bobby or one of his associate trainers um, that he works with. So Bobby, thanks again. Thank, thank you, you so all much. for tuning in. Yeah, and thank you, everybody. Stay tuned because we're going to plan part two, hopefully in the next week or two. That sounds great, Jill. Thank you. All right, everyone have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.